0: As at least some of you know, this morning I was going to be talking about, uh, I was going to be finishing up our four-part series. This was going to be the fourth part. We will get to that um, as soon as we are able to do that. But as they say, when life changes your plans, you make a new plan, right? And that's what we're doing this morning. Along these lines, I don't think that anybody except for the terrorists themselves knew that Israel was going to be so brutally and viciously attacked. Killing and kidnapping children and babies by Hamas was evil. We don't usually use that word a lot, but there are some times where there are things that are clear in terms of what's happening, and you call it for what it is. As it's been said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing, and this can be applied to many things. So at the outset, just to be clear and to agree with the IDF commander that I quoted earlier, Hamas, as we know, does not equal the people of Palestine. It's a different thing because most of them are also victims themselves of this terrorism now penned in against their will. And so today, Laura and I are going to address Israel and Palestine, not from a political point of view, because we're not politicians, but we do from a scriptural and spiritual and biblical perspective. This um, obviously is something that could in itself be a 52-week series. Um, So today is no doubt going to be incomplete But there are a few questions that Laura and I have been asked that have to do with some underlying issues that have biblical roots, and we're going to try to address these as concisely as we can. And they are, one, didn't God give all of this land to Israel forever? And if so, what do you do about that? What does that mean? And two, there's the question of dominion. As in, when God created the world, God gave human beings dominion over everything, the land and everything in it. Dominion is power. So, how are we as humans to exercise our dominion, the power that we have as human beings? Does dominion mean to dominate? Does it mean to be nasty? and to oppress? Does it mean to abuse power or position? Or did Christ through his leadership, his lordship, give us a different understanding of what it means to exercise power and how we as humans should be exercising our dominion? And how does justice play in all of this? As it's been said, there is no peace without justice. And what would Jesus have to say about that? And then, third, we're going to explore this issue of the chosen people, because that comes into play in this whole dynamic. Who are God's chosen people? And did Jesus give us any particular understanding along these lines of how are God's chosen people, who are they first, and how are they supposed to treat other people? So with these four biblical questions having to do with sacred land, dominion, God's chosen, and justice, we have our scripture passages that you have as an an insert there with scripture passages on one side a map on the other side. And as I read, I'm going to insert some commentary as I go, and then Laura's going to share some perspective following me. But before we start with Scripture, let's just start with a little helpful historical background about Israel and Palestine. As we know, or may not know, I don't know, Jacob, who was the son of Isaac and who was the grandson of Abraham, those names might be familiar... Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel, which means the one who struggles with God. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Jacob. It was a person. And the name Israel is derived from the Hebrew words Yisra, which means to struggle, and El, which means to which is shorthand for God, for Elohim. So Israel is Yisrael, to struggle with God, because that's what Jacob did. So the people of Israel were literally descendants of Jacob, of Israel. And then, at one point, it became associated with the land, that these people inhabited, the land of Israel. But this land, by Jesus' time, was no longer ruled or governed by the people of Israel, right? In Jesus' day, the term for the area of land that we think of as being that was Palestine. It was all of it, the land of Palestine. And all of it back then was governed by whom? the Roman Empire, the Romans. So in that land, there were Jewish people, there were non-Jewish people who are referred to as Gentiles, and there are Romans, people from Italy, from Rome, all living together. And the Romans divided the land, and if you look at your map, you can see the different areas that it was divided into at Jesus' time. Christianity Today, which is a name that you may recognize, a very widely respected Christian periodical, says this, the historical world of the first century Israel is fascinating because although earlier there had been the land of Israel, like during David's time and so forth, by the time it came to the first century, there was no kingdom of geographical region called Israel. And the area had been divided into smaller territories such as Galilee, Samaria, Judea, and so forth, Decapolis, Korea, all under Roman rule. And the Romans began to refer to the whole region as Palestine, the land of Palestine, we've heard that. So everyone living in that region were technically Palestinians, including Jewish people, non-Jewish, Gentiles, Romans, And this became the catch-all term for that reason until the birth of the modern state of Israel in 1948. Now, considering that, let's go to Scripture. And let's begin with the questions of who's created in the image of God? Who is given God's blessing? To whom is given the power of dominion? And from Genesis... We see and we hear God created man and woman in God's own image. In the image of God, God created humanity, male and female. God created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And with this, we again ask the questions of who did God create? in God's image? Everybody, right? male and female. And therefore, who is deserving of that level of dignity? Everybody, male and female. If you're male or female, somewhere in that range, then you're deserving of that level of dignity. Every human being on the face of the earth is created by God, blessed by God, is a child of God, therefore deserving of that highest level of dignity and Justice. This is where all justice comes from in the Judeo-Christian heritage. And this leads us to our second passage having to do with the Old Testament blessing and identification with a land. Where in Exodus it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And this is just one of the many examples of where we get this idea that uh, that the Jewish faith is intertwined now with land. And this shows up in various forms, really throughout, in Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, the Psalms, and so on. And then moving on to our third passage. This is where we get the idea that the people of Israel are God's chosen people, which they are. They are. But unless we forget the original blessing in Genesis 1, where God created every male and female, God created every human being and blessed them, then we might think That just because you're chosen, that means that some people are chosen to the exclusion of everyone else who has also been created and blessed. And so let's read this passage from Deuteronomy, where it says, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession. And here's a short commentary where, again, first of all, of course, yes, they are God's treasured possessions. As a parent, if you say to one of your children, I love you with all my heart and soul, You're my treasured one. And God gave you to me. What does that mean for your other children? Does that mean that you don't mean this for your other children as well? If you say it to one, you say, I love you with all my heart and soul to one. The other one says, How about me? And what do you say? You say, Of course, I love you with all my heart and soul, too. Just because I say that to one doesn't mean that I don't have that same love for others. I have infinite love for every one of you. What kind of a parent would I be if I didn't? What kind of a God would I be if I didn't? Just because I share the blessing with one doesn't mean that I don't share it with the other. We have many people living in our home. And herein lies our predicament. And with that, we turn to the New Testament. Does Jesus have anything to say about who are God's chosen? Does Jesus have anything to say about issues of dominion and how we're to treat others? And to begin, let's just start with a New Testament reading from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, which is in there. Who said, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith.
1: So, as Paul mentioned, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been going on for millennia. As we know, it's complex. It's deeply intricate conflict. And now, sadly, it has turned to a war. There is a bloody and cruel history behind all of this. And sadly, it's a bloody and cruel reality that we're living right now. The actions on both sides have left millions of innocent men, women and children in a very precarious position. The murdering and suffering of the Israeli people cannot be ignored. And the suffering and the death of the Palestinian people cannot be ignored. So where do we turn to even begin to comprehend what all this means? Where do we look to see how are we supposed to process all of this? Well, as Christians, we look to Jesus. We remember that Jesus himself lived in an occupied territory. Rome had occupied Israel for more than 60 years by the time Jesus was born. We remember that Jesus lived in a highly violent time. All male children under the age of three were brutally murdered to try to kill him when he was a child. Crucifixion and other means of torture were commonplace when he was an adult. And despite all of that, Jesus was a very effective practitioner of nonviolence. In fact, his whole ministry was radical, but nonviolent, He challenged both the Roman and the Jewish leaders on everything from the way they treated people to the way they misrepresented God to the way they used violence as a means of suppression. He understood land rights issues. He understood human rights issues. And he understood peace and nonviolence. We can see this clearly when Jesus chose Saul on the road to Damascus to become the leader of the movement. Saul was transformed from someone who literally hunted down, arrested, and or killed young Christians, new Christians. Jesus transformed him to Paul, someone who gave birth to the church, traveling around the world, interpreting Jesus' sayings based on his experience with the resurrected Christ. Our earliest documents about Jesus are Paul's letters. And in one of those letters to the church in Corinth, Greece, Paul wrote to them to explain how, as Christians, you now have to look at the world. And Paul wrote, Just as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you all are the body of Christ. And individually, members of it. I thought long and hard about what to say. We have met beautiful Israeli people. We have met beautiful. Palestinian people. So how are we supposed to wrap our minds around what is happening in the Middle East? What has happened? And what is about to happen? I could only find one source that shed any light. One source that gave me any comfort, gave me any sense of direction. Gave me any sense of hope. And that was Jesus. So we ask, Jesus, what do we do in this time? And we hear him say so clearly, so loudly, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are radical words spoken in Jesus' time. But they give us all we need to know about how God feels about humanity, all we need to know about how humanity is supposed to feel about themselves, and all we need to know of how humanity is supposed to feel about their neighbors. And you know what? Just like not everyone appreciated hearing those words when Jesus said them, Not everyone appreciates hearing them today, and I'm okay with that, because I look to Jesus to help me understand how to be in this world, even in times of war. And I get one word back, love. Jesus said, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He said, we love because God first loved us. And in this time, we must remember that love is the cornerstone of our faith. We are one in the spirit of God, the spirit of love. We all have compassion and empathy for every single hurting human being who lives in Israel and Palestine. When we see the faces of children who are suffering, we suffer. When we see the image of someone desperately looking for lost family members, we ache and become nauseous over the thought of it. When we see a truck full of dead bodies, we weep. Why? Because we are one in the Spirit of God. But is empathy and sympathy enough? I think in some ways, yes. But only if it moves us to go beyond, to begin to recognize that there's something deeper here. There's an issue of justice. Now, the prophet Micah called the world to justice back in 700 B.C. when he said, What does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice. In the New Testament, the word justice comes from the Greek word dikiosuni. This was a word of the pagan Greek civilization and carried with it the concept of justice, justice, with fair and equal distribution. That is why justice is represented by a balanced scale. The good are rewarded and the bad are punished by human society, supposedly in a fair way that balances back out. But that Greek word is a translation of the Hebrew word that Jesus used, used, which is zadeka. And this word does not mean a balance. This word broadens the concept of justice to include charity and mercy, compassion, and even love. So when Jesus is talking about justice, he's not using a word that carries with it that meaning of balanced penalty. He calls us to a new form of justice. He says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be children of God who is in heaven. For God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what Jesus is talking about is a balance that comes not from fairness, but from love, which is shockingly says is given in an unjust manner. That is, God always gives without taking anything back in return. God gives to every person. God loves everyone. So it's not God who's doling out an eye for an eye kind of justice. That's on us as humans alone. God's justice is so grand, so deeply rooted in love, that Jesus says that even if a son demands from his father that he turn over his inheritance, and then that son takes it and squanders it away on immoral behavior, and then returns and falls on his knees and asks for forgiveness. What will God do? God will drop everything and come running back towards that son, to bring that son back into the kingdom of love. Jesus tells us time and time again to have love and compassion and genuine concern for the well-being of every person. This, he says, is the priority of God's kingdom here on earth. So what does he say when that doesn't happen? When this ideal can't be met? He says this, I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world for you. Take heart. Have faith. Keep hope in your heart. He knows life can be hard, that people can make terrible decisions, that wars can happen. But whenever we can, and as often as we can, we are called to celebrate the gift of love that we all receive freely from God. We are called to be one body, one spirit. Jesus healed a Roman soldier's daughter. He separated the soldier from the oppressive Roman government and raised her from the dead. We are one spirit of God. Jesus broke down social, cultural, and religious barriers, reaching out to those who are marginalized or considered outcasts He treated them all as loving beings of God, regardless of their social status. He loved them as a child of God, and he helped them. We are one in the Spirit of God. Jesus condemned systems and practices that exploited or neglected their people and left them in vulnerable situations. He tells the story of a landover, landowner, not land rover, landowner who hires some workers and promises to pay them a just wage for their work. In the end, he pays them what he promised. However, the owner also paid the same amount to some workers hired later in the day. Justice, Jesus tells us, doesn't have to do with balanced fairness. It includes a kind of generosity that goes beyond what is expected, a generosity that is as big as love. We are one in the Spirit of God. And Jesus shows us that justice can be achieved through nonviolence and peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You have heard it said, says Jesus, you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of God, one spirit, one love, one justice for all. As God's faithful people, as Christians, we must stand with Christ. We stand on the side of everyone who God created, not condoning but praying for those who hurt us. So today, I stand with Jesus. I stand on the side of hope, not despair, despite this. I stand on the side of peace not violence. I stand on the side of justice, not injustice. I stand on the side of love, not hatred. I stand on the side of mourning, not militarizing. And not just for some, but for all. Of God's people. Will you join me? Amen.